Welcome to the Word Ministry of Resurrection Church, where Dr. Joseph G. Matera is the senior pastor and presiding bishop. We trust that the following message will be a blessing. Open up your hearts and allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you through the preaching and teaching of one of God's choice servants. Hey, I'm so glad you joined us today. Today we want to get into the Word of God and we want to share about how David viewed God as his shepherd. We're going to look at Psalm 23, but before we do that, I want you for a minute to just picture yourself as a sheep, alone, lost, in the black of the night, trying to find your way back to the sheepfold. But because you're blinded by the darkness and sheep can't see too good anyway, even in the day, you're just grasping for the right place. You're trying to walk here, trying to walk there, but you're getting nowhere and you're starting to get anxious. But suddenly you sense the, the presence of another animal. And of course you're hoping that it's another sheep and perhaps that sheep could lead you to the sheepfold. But then you hear a growl. And so your hopes are dashed because you realize that you are now in proximity to a predator. In other words, a wolf. And you could just picture that wolf as his growls are getting louder and louder, getting closer and closer. That wolf is now envisioning you as his next meal. And as that wolf is getting closer and you could sense he's about to jump upon you, pounce upon you, all of a sudden you hear a loud thump. And then you hear a shriek. And then you hear feet scampering away crying. And then the image of a huge figure starts to emerge. You're not sure who that is. And as the figure gets closer and closer, finally you recognize this image. And this person begins to now pet your brow, bringing comfort to you. And you realize that the shepherd found you again at the last minute. This is not the first time that has happened in the midst of danger when you're about to die because of all the different possibilities of danger that await you. This shepherd rescued you again. That's how David depicted the Lord Jesus Christ as he was prophetically talking about Jesus as the good shepherd in Psalm 23. And so we're going to read this now. And most likely David wrote this psalm while he was fleeing from Saul or one of the occasions when he was in existential danger from one of his enemies. And he learned that he was able to trust in the Lord as his shepherd. As a matter of fact, he as a shepherd boy also rescued sheep from the lions and the bears and, and the wolves. And so he was able to understand and relate to God in the same way he related to those sheep. And so, without further ado, let's go to Psalm 23. David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Oh, I love that. He says, he makes me, he leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Because why? Because you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflow. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's go back to the beginning. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not lack anything. Right? In the King James, it says, I shall not want. Isn't that amazing how he depicted God as his shepherd, the one who cared for him, the one who provided for him, the one who nurtured him, the one who guided him, the one who was with him in the darkness, the one who protected him from strangers and from wolves and from his enemies and adversaries. And so it talks about how part of the benefits of serving God is that we shall not lack anything. That's due to his provision. And of course, shepherds provide for the sheep as this psalm gets into, and which we'll read in a moment. And one of the things we have to realize is the power of the gospel, it tells us, is that it brings salvation. It's able to save. Romans 1.16, Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. The word salvation was used in both Testaments, the Old Testament and New Testament, to depict how God delivered us from our enemies, how God saved us, how God preserved us, how God provided for us, and in the New Testament, how God healed us, how God cast demons out of us, how God was able to provide food and provide anything we needed for sustenance. And so that's how David looked at the Lord. The Lord is unchanging. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and the same God who protected and was a shepherd to David is the same God in the New Testament. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So he's the same as David's depiction of him in Psalm 23. And then he says, he makes me lie down on green pastures. So he begins to describe all the ways God is our shepherd, provides, protects, guides, and nurtures us. The first thing he mentions, he makes us lie down on green pastures. The causative uh, verb here is not that he forces us to lie down in green pastures, but he gives us the opportunity. He makes an allowance for us. He creates the environment. He, he, he leads us so that we could lie down and get the proper rest. And of course, green pastures also depicts that we not only rest, but we take time to feed on not only regular food, but to feed on his word that he provides what we need to nourish us, to nourish our soul, to nourish our spirit, to nourish our body. And then it says, he leads me beside the still waters. What are the still waters? Well, if you have still waters, that means there's no activity. There's nothing that causes a wave. There's nothing that causes the water to move. There's nothing that causes any activity. So it has to be totally quiet to have still Waters. I remember one time I was on vacation with my wife in Mexico, and we were out in the middle of a lake somewhere with a tourist uh, group, and the tour guide told us to just totally relax. It was about 8 o'clock at night. It was getting dark. It was totally still. We were beginning to see the stars, beginning to hear all the animals, the nightlife, the nocturnal animals come out, and he said, I want you to just totally rest right now and be refreshed, be restored in the stillness of the night. And as we began to relax in our canoes, within a minute or two, we started hearing raunchy, uh, loud Mexican 
music, <laughs> clapping and dancing and all of that. Well, of course, somebody nearby was listening to the radio. It was very, very funny. It was hysterical, it broke up the night. It was something my wife and I will never forget. But when God leads us to still waters, there are no interruptions. He makes a way that we can have that time, that space, that opportunity to be alone, to practice that solitude so that we could be still and know him, know that he is God. Still waters are also important because when you have still waters, you could actually look at the waters and see your own reflection as if you're looking in a mirror. So still waters are a time to be silent, a time to be still so that we could be self-aware, that we could know what's really going on on the inside of us. If we're not self-aware, then the Lord does not have what it, uh, the, the ability to transform us because he works with us, he cooperates with us, he doesn't force internal transformation. So he tries to bring us to still waters. He wants us to carve out the time to have boundaries in our life so we could regularly spend time with him and be still so we could be self-aware and know what areas of our life are broken that he wants to deal with. And then it says, he leads me to the paths of righteousness. I love that, the paths of righteousness, as it says here on the screen. And what are the paths of righteousness? Well, the paths of righteousness are the paths that God leads us based on his ways. He never leads us to a path of unrighteousness. He never tries to hurt us. He never tries to destroy us. He doesn't lead us down a road that'll cause us harm. In the same way, a good shepherd will only lead the flock to areas in which he could provide and guide them and protect them. Same way God leads us in the paths of righteousness because he's righteous, he's good, he's just, he's loving. And so one of the ways we know that it's the shepherd leading us is if it is an expression of his righteousness, his goodness, and his love. He'll never lead us to do things that would hurt his reputation, hurt the name of Christ, and, and destroy our life with foolishness. And it says that he leads us in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. It's for his reputation, meaning... He will never hurt his reputation, what, what he leads us to do. But at the same time, for the sake of his name, he will lead us in the correct paths. What does that mean? That means that any good shepherd is going to protect their sheep. If the sheep are not cared for, if the sheep are, are, are broken, impoverished, undernourished, starving, sickly, it actually makes the shepherd look bad. And so what he's saying here, oh, it's so profound and amazing, is that he leads us in the paths of righteousness because he is watching over his name, the way he takes care of us, the way he leads and guides us is a reflection on who he is upon his goodness, his love, his provision. It's a reflection of his name. And then he says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, meaning sometimes the paths of righteousness seem like it's very, very risque. It's, it's very uh, uh, tricky. It's very dangerous. It's very, uh, uh, you know, unpredictable. God is an adventurous God. And so just because he leads us in the paths of righteousness doesn't mean we need faith. That we don't need faith to walk in it. It, it, it takes faith because sometimes he leads us in ways that doesn't make sense to us or ways that is beyond our ability or ways that is beyond our money, ways beyond our faith level. 
and uh, it's the valley here, the valley of the shadow of death. The word shadow of death in the original language means the darkness of darkness or, or the deepest darkness or the shadow of the grave, a place where there's no life, a place where there's danger, a place where you could lose your life. And so sometimes in leading us, we're going in a valley. It's not always a mountaintop. Everybody always wants to be on the mountaintop, praising God, getting filled with the Spirit, uh, being with other people who are filled with the Spirit, seeing the miraculous, seeing the power of God. But sometimes God's leading is in a shadow of a valley, which means that we have to really trust him, which means that we have to also uh, watch our soul. We have to be careful we don't get depressed. We have to be careful we don't get discouraged. And even if we're discouraged, even it looks like we're going to lose our life, as Paul said, that we felt the sentence of death in our own life, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, so that we could trust God who raises the dead. Sometimes he leads us in these valleys. It's not always mountaintop experiences. He leads us in the valley of the shadow of death so we can learn to trust in him even when it looks very difficult, even when the environment is not friendly. And so David said, even though when I'm in this dark darkness, even when I'm in this place of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Not because I have such great faith, because I learned to trust in God throughout all the years. He's always been with me. David has seen God deliver him time and time again, as we read his life story in 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, as we see how he rescued him from Saul, how he, he delivered him uh, from Goliath, how when he was a shepherd, he rescued David when he went after a lion or a bear, and he was able to kill the lion and the bear to rescue the sheep. And so because of that, he feared no evil. The more you get to know God, the more you walk with God, the more you experience God's faithfulness, the less you give in to fear. The more you know God, the more you're able to live by faith. And he says, I fear no evil for you are with me. The gospel of Christ is not just about God's provision. It's about being with God. The greatest treasure of the shepherd is the shepherd himself. It's being with Jesus. It's getting to know Jesus. It's understanding that he is with you. That is the greatest benefit and treasure of being with God and being one of his children. And so he's not afraid because God himself, the shepherd, is with him. And then he says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The rod is what the shepherd uses to beat away the wolves and to chase away the predators from the sheep. The staff is the walking stick that the shepherd leans on. Both of them can be used as weapons. And God has a rod, and I wouldn't want to be on the other side of that rod. I wouldn't want to be someone who hurts his people. I wouldn't want to be somebody who comes against God and tries to destroy his church or his kingdom or his work because you don't want to feel God's rod. So at the same time, the Lord is the shepherd of his people. The Lord will also protect and go to war and defend his people if anyone attacks his people. And that's what this is all about. And then he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Some scholars believe that at this point, the metaphor shifts from God as shepherd to God as a host inviting you into his house. 
Some scholars still believe uh, it's God as shepherd, and some believe it's God as host. So we'll talk about both possible angles here from this verse on. So he says, you prepare a table. So obviously, if it's God as host, when you go in to visit somebody, a good host is going to feed you. A good host is going to take care of you. Uh, if it's God as shepherd, a table, according to shepherds, can refer to the top of a, a ravine uh, of, or a hill where there's a lot of grass and the sheep go and they feed on the top of this hill and because it's on the top of a hill, it's in the presence of the enemies because all these predators are watching the sheep as they're feeding. But it's almost like David, uh, as a sheep mocks, he says, but I will fear no evil. He says, you prepare a table in the presence of my enemies, meaning you could watch all you want. You could think that you're going to attack me. You could think that you're going to eat me for dinner, eat me alive. But I'm not going to fear anything, even though I'm in your presence. I'm going to feast. I'm going to eat because I know the Lord is with me. And then he says, you anoint my head with oil. As we see, even in the Gospels, Jesus told one of the Pharisees, when I came in, you didn't anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with perfume and dried them and uh, washed them with her tears, dried them with her hair. Um, it was very common in those days for somebody who was a guest to come in and have their head anointed with oil because the oil was soothing uh, and the oil was comforting and even healing in the midst of that environment and that heat. And, uh, and so anointing the head with oil can be God as host, but it could also be God as shepherd because oftentimes the shepherd will anoint the brow of the sheep and the head of the sheep with oil, soothing oil, uh, because of all the gnats and fleas and the bites and all the wounds, the oil uh, is something that soothes and comfort, comforts the sheep. So God anoints our head with oil. That could also depict being anointed by the power of the Spirit. That could depict God as the Holy Spirit coming to teach us, coming to use us, uh, coming to do something powerfully in our life. But in this particular context, it has to do with God soothing us, his soothing touch. And sometimes our head really needs that anointing. But all the things we're dealing with, with all the, the problems and the trauma and the things we, we got to figure out. And many of us during these days are mentally weary. We're worn out. Um, we are at a place where, wow, I could use some anointing. I could use something in my life to help my mind. It actually goes back to verse 3 where he says he restores my soul. The word soul literally means in the Hebrew, he restores my nephesh. That is the word for soul in the Hebrew language. It has to do with rigor. That has to do with strength. That has to do with our mind. That has to do with our breath. And so these two verses go together. He anoints our head with oil. He restores our soul. God cares about our emotions. He wants us to have emotional health. He wants us to be renewed. It tells us in Isaiah 40, 31, that those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. Oh, we need our strength renewed today. And it's not just physical healing. It's not just moving the gifts and power of God, but it's emotional health, emotional maturity. 
It's healing the broken places in our soul, the unforgiveness, the bitterness, the unresolved issues. God wants to come deep inside of us, help us forgive, help us to heal, and help us to be made whole. As we look in the still waters and we see ourselves in that reflection, he doesn't show us who we really are so that he can shame us, but so that he has opportunity to heal us. So let's give God space. Let's let him lead us beside the still waters, restore our soul, and anoint our head with oil. And then it says here that our cup runs over. God as host will offer us that cup of cold water, that cup that's filled to the brim. It's so filled that it actually starts running over. God never just gives us enough. God provides not just our needs. God gives us even more than we need. That's what Jesus said in John chapter 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come that you might have life, but a life that's even more abundant or a life to the full. And that is in the context of Jesus as our shepherd. So he not only takes care of us, he wants to give us even more than we need. But why? Not so that we could bask in our own personal abundance, but so that we have enough to give to others that we could share with our family, our spouse, our neighbors, people in our church. If we only have enough love to take care of ourselves, then we won't be able to help others because we're to love others as we love ourselves. We need more love than we need to sustain our own life. And God gives us more than we need in every era of our life, even in the emotions, even in the heart, even in the mind, even when it comes to problem solving in our intellect, he helps us in every possible way in our spirit, soul, and body. So he says, I will fear no evil. You are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. What a beautiful story this is. My cup runs over. And so what was his conclusion to this incredible metaphorical poem, this incredible story of a shepherd with a sheep and a sheep's view and perspective of the good shepherd. His conclusion is, after all was said and done, surely goodness and mercy will follow me, not some of the days of my life, not at times, but all the days of my life. Wow, goodness because God is good. Mercy, because God is loving kindness and mercy when he looks at us, because that's an aspect of his goodness. And when it says mercy and goodness will follow us, what does that mean? Well, mercy and goodness are abstract concepts, so he's not talking about abstract concepts following us. What he's talking about is because the shepherd is good, because he's merciful, the shepherd will accompany us not just the abstract sense of goodness, but God, because he's good, will follow us. All the days of our life, he'll never leave us or forsake us. The Bible tells us that your father and mother may forsake you, but the Lord will pick you up. Jesus is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He'll be closer than your spouse, closer than your best friend, closer than your children. He will always accompany you. If you make him your Lord, he will never leave you, even when you let him down. That's why he's merciful. It's not only goodness, but mercy follow me. 
When do we need mercy? Well, when we sin, when we don't deserve it, when we don't have our act together, when because of our broken places we act out in a way that offends others or hurts others or hurts ourselves or hurts our family. Well, thank God it's not just his goodness towards us, but it's also his mercy towards us that follows us. All the days of our life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That means that David is talking about being in God's presence forever and ever. In those days, there was a temple. That's why he said the house of the Lord. We are now the temple. But in the last final stages of eternity, it tells us that there will be a place where God dwells with us, where there's no more crying, no more sorrow, no more pain because the former things have passed away. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you don't know Jesus as your shepherd, why don't you pray right now with me? Why don't you ask him inside of your life? Say, dear Jesus, thank you for being my shepherd. Thank you for being the good shepherd. Jesus, thank you that you died for me to rescue me, to protect me, to guide me. You rose from the dead. You broke the power of hell so that I could be saved, so I could be safe. I believe with my heart and I confess with my mouth that God raised you from the dead. And I call upon you now, Jesus. Be my shepherd. Save me. For everyone who calls on your name will be saved. And Father, I pray for those in the body of Christ. I pray, God, that you'd help them experience your great love, your deep love. Help them to not fear evil. Help them not to be discouraged even though they're in a valley right now. Help them to understand that goodness and mercy will always follow them and that you'll never leave them. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I hope you enjoyed this message. You can listen to this and other messages on our YouTube station, and I hope we continue to see you, and as soon as this lockdown is lifted, I can't wait to see your face. I can't wait to break the bread of God's word together with you. God bless you. We trust that you were blessed. For more information regarding our church, please go to our website at www.resurrectionchurchofny.com or call 718-436-0242, extension 0.